Hello and welcome to the Symmetry Delta podcast for evidence-based investing. I'm your host, Casey Dillon. Joining me today is the Director of Client Experience at Symmetry Partners, William Chettle. Uh, we are uh, recording this on May 8th, uh, the morning after we've gotten the April jobs numbers, and we thought that it would be helpful to engage in a dialogue about um, what we have observed since uh, the beginning of the year, uh, markets, the inputs to markets, uh, economic uh, jobs, et cetera, um, for what we're observing and the impact that we see that having in portfolios. So uh, welcome, and William, certainly happy to have you with us this morning. Thank you so much. And uh, Casey, obviously, you often interview experts, and today we're going to interview you and get your expertise on a, on a lot of these issues. So we'd love to be talking about what we're seeing in a, in a couple of areas. What are we seeing in terms of oil, unemployment, especially today when we have, have numbers released that we haven't seen the likes of since the Great Depression, the impact on various industries, uh, including you know companies like my favorite, J. Crew, declaring bankruptcy, and of course, what is the impact of all of, all of the um, government spending and stimulus that we, we've seen? So why don't we we start because it's front and center with with unemployment, and uh, you know on, on a day when the market is is up, and yet we have more than 20 million people uh, filing for unemployment in in April. Uh, yeah, uh, grim news, uh, to be sure, um, from an economic and, and a humanitarian standpoint. Um, the, the numbers that we see coming in for unemployment uh, are um, uh, unprecedented uh, in terms of the, the short duration in which we arrived at this number of uh, unemployed or, or sort of jobless claims. And, and I would caution that the these 20 million odd jobs that were eliminated in the month of April is um, likely to be restated and, and restated to a higher number. Um, what what we know is that the the number of jobless claims um, it, it, there's a very specific formula for what gets included in those, and as a part of the federal relief programs due to the COVID-19 virus, uh, the there has been an expansion of uh, the type of un workers who previously would have been unqualified to be counted in that to now be eligible for federal relief programs and are now therefore counted in those numbers. And, and we know that those haven't been added at the state level yet. So it, it's entirely conceivable that we will see uh, several million more added to that count. Um, suffice it to say, uh, there is a... Uh, a large uh, rate of joblessness related to the COVID-19 uh, slowdown, the slowdown of the economy related to COVID-19. Uh, and, and that was true as well with markets uh, through the end of the first quarter. Um, the month of April has seen something of a rally uh, in markets. Uh, while, while, the, while we've seen this uh, spike in joblessness, the market has gone uh, a different direction. It's decoupled from the economic underpinnings. Uh, for instance, the NASDAQ has essentially really erased all the losses that it had for the year through the first quarter. It's rallied 30% since late March. The S&P 500's risen 23% since then. Although it's still negative on the year, it's clawed back mu much of the the, the losses that we saw through the end of the first quarter. 
uh, and and of course uh, there are sort of a slew of reasons for why that may be. The first uh, is, as you know, the market is a forward-looking mechanism, and, and investors are looking ahead and making an assessment of the the recovery from the economic downturn, uh, and they're estimating that that recovery will be uh, somewhat quicker, uh, and, and corporate profits will will sort of jump back uh, to sort of pre-pandemic levels. But but as you've indicated, your your favorite. Uh, 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 Clothier is that a word? Uh, uh, the the concerns Clothier, are: yeah. does demand yes, uh, actually come back? Clothier, mm-hmm. haberdasher, haberdashery. Your favorite mm-hmm. haberdasher. Uh, the, the the question now really is: does demand come back? Um, you you mm-hmm. mentioned uh, oil, for instance, right? What well, as demand collapsed for oil right so so going back again to the onset of the the spread of the pandemic as uh government uh, entities around the globe started to to put their um uh, populations into various forms of of lockdown social distancing demand for oil collapsed by about a third uh, as uh, lockdowns and travel bans took hold. And, and so you ended up with this surplus uh, of oil. Uh, so much surplus, in fact, that uh, unwanted barrels of oil, uh, unused capacity are being shoved into every nook and cranny, right? From river barges to, mm-hmm. to salt caverns. Uh, and, and there's just yep. there's no there's no more storage left for it. Right? And you end up with a situation that we saw last month where the, the price turned negative. Right, because of the lack of available storage for forced traders to actually pay people to take the yep. crude off of their hands, the, the physical delivery of crude. But although the, in very limited circumstances, demand right, you, you, you to have to, sorry, yeah, so I was gonna say that in very limited circumstances, I mean if you'd be able to find a way to store a thousand barrels of oil in Oklahoma, um, you know, back last month, you would have been able to make a nice tidy thirty-six, thirty-seven thousand dollars profit, but that was you had it was only in a very specific part of, of Oklahoma. Yeah, right. And and the reality of that is if it were easy to do, they would have done it, right? The market would have sussed that out and done it. <laughs> it, it, it was incredibly hard to find storage capacity for anybody, right? To be able to then get paid to hold uh, oil. But but what we've seen then is a recovery for of price for oil, even if demand hasn't necessarily uh, come back. We've seen a recovery in in price to sort of the twenty to thirty dollar range. A- again, as uh, the market is looking forward to um, the a, a, a return to some kind of normalcy in the global uh, economy, a- and as well as market participants sort of participating, uh, particularly higher cost production participants like the U.S. and Canada. Start starting to turn off the spigots, right? So there's there's now a, a cut in um, supply and, and a and a rebound in, in some of the demand. The concern, obviously, for haberdashers, right, like your favorite store, mm-hmm. is demand may mm-hmm. come back, uh, but uh, maybe not to the levels previously seen. And because that's the case, there may not there may be an oversupply in the market until. 
um, the the higher cost uh, producers uh, figure out how to become lower cost or, or are shaken out of the market. And, and that's a concern, not just for oil, uh, but for all, all kinds of um, manufacturing and retail. Does demand come back? How robust is it when it does? And, and, and what is the pain going to be felt along the way to arrive at, at some point where the market is considered healthy, where demand meets supply and, and price can now sort of recover. The, the market is sort of forward looking, forward thinking, they're pricing as if that's that we're already down the path on that. And it's yet to be seen, right? We, 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 we certainly don't know if that's going to be the case. And, and so one of the risks associated with sort of a recovery in markets is that the, the pricing is wrong, right? That the assumption that that we have a rebound uh, in uh, in demand and, and we don't have a shakeout in uh, supply uh, in the suppliers that has an, an impact on markets, right? So what I mean by that defaults, uh, distressed credit in in the debt markets, and of course equities, you know, going out of bankruptcy, shutting down. Mm-hmm. Um, so so let's assume that 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 uh, scenario comes out to play and the market's right, then then we're on our way to a recovery, even though the economy doesn't seem to show that. And, and you know that there is a historic precedent for the market getting ahead of economic recovery. And, and you don't have to look very far back. You can just look back to 2009, coming out of the global financial crisis. The labor market itself didn't start to show signs of improvement until the end of 2009, at which point the market was already up 44%, right? The market had started to rebound in the spring of 2009. So market as a forward-looking mechanism tends to get ahead of these things. The question is just, are, are the assumptions correct this time? Or, you know, is there a risk to this that uh, potentially we, we revisit a, a downward volatility spike? And, and I would suggest that any investor sort of be ready, buckle up for any uh, probability uh, outcome. We, we could just as easily revisit the lows as we are to move on to a whole new bull market and this is where you see a lot of discussion of, of the the shape of of the recovery and uh you, there's a whole alphabet soup whether it's an l-shaped u-shaped v-shaped or 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 w uh implying in some cases depending on your your letter of choice either a very sharp recovery or uh sort of a, a, a bouncing up and down for a while some some recovery some downturns some recovery some downturns so but a, a, as you say it, it's right right now it, it is you know, a lot of educated guesses, but they but they are are guesses. And I, I love also your perspective on um, on there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. But I, I think what would you say to investors who are trying to figure out um, you know specific companies or sectors or even countries that are going to be um, winners or, or 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 losers out of all this from a sort of standpoint of um, you know, growing the revenues and, and, and being successful or going out of business. Wow. Uh, first, I would say if the if what's driving that question is the idea that we want to get time, the, a purchase such that we're going to buy <laughs> the winners ahead of time. Right. And sell the losers. Mm-hmm. I would say that that's a that's not investing. That's speculating. And yeah. Very few people have shown uh, a mastery at being able to do that well. 
so so I would caution against sort of that line of thinking. What I would say is we, we don't know at the end of the day who the winners and the losers are going to be coming out of, of this event any more than you do any other event. But it, again, if history is a guide, typically the places where you see sort of recovery and outperformance sooner uh, are the areas that were the hit hardest on the downturn. So you know, coming out of 2008, 2009, financials really recovered uh, much quicker uh, than other parts of the market, as did uh, places that were punished by um, lack of liquidity as liquidity came back to the market. Uh, so if that's, again, some kind of guide, looking at uh, those areas of the market that had been uh, punished through the end of the first quarter, uh, U.S. small caps were, were um, one of the, the laggards, if you will, for asset classes, as were U.S. REITs and value stocks in general. So it stands to reason that areas where you might see a recovery are the areas where price has been punished uh, more than necessary maybe the the economics warrant uh and, and so as the market kind of figures that out and gets back onto forward looking forward pricing there's a recovery in those areas of the market first um so again not not to speculate but if that part of your portfolio uh has been hammered and uh, as it, it very likely has if, if you're investing with us uh those are areas where you would be encouraged to continue to hold on to it because you would hope that there would be a recovery uh, as the market sort of regains its footing. Yeah, and, and just as, as you know, um, that once you start trying to, to dive down into particular sectors or, or companies or even countries and try to figure out which ones are going to outperform or underperform, it, it, gets, it gets very surprising and tricky and often even counterintuitive. Uh, you know, I, I love the example that the top performing global market last year was Russia, which has heavy sanctions against it and uh, is actually in a kind of stalemate semi-war with Ukraine, which was the top performer the year before. And so... Yeah. And, and year to date, <laughs> so far, what we've seen, the top performer seems to be China, the epicenter of the, the pandemic, right? So go figure, yeah, yeah. right? If, if you're trying to get ahead of these things, you, you'd, you'd be wrong every time. Talk a little bit, if you, you could, about the, the impact of all, all this government spending. Uh, you know, today, in terms of relief packages, uh, more than $2 trillion is being spent by the government. Um, and this, of course, causes concern about things like, of course, government deficits and, and, and inflation. What's your perspective on, on all this? Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard the, the economic case being made for both inflation and deflation coming out of this. What, again, it remains to be seen. What we know is that this event has been met with uh, unprecedented uh, historic response by central banks uh, around the world, uh, led by the Fed, a and the uh, willingness of the central banks and the Fed to step in and stabilize markets. The 
what we've seen from the Fed itself is an expansion of its balance sheet. So think about in uh, 2008 global financial crisis, the, the Fed went out and massively uh, expanded its balance sheet to, to deal with that crisis. Well, well we've left that in the rearview mirror. Through, through April, the, the Fed's balance sheet has ballooned to the tune of $6.6 uh, which is, uh, again, unprecedented and unheard of. And the facilities that they've brought to bear are are now not just for treasuries, but for everything from highly rated corporate debt to fixed income exchange traded funds to mortgage bonds to municipal bonds to commercial paper to banks CDs, uh, and, and so the 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 facilities that that they've announced and rolled out have really. Um, uh, stabilized uh, what was looking to be a, a liquidity issue in markets and commercial paper and uh, money market funds and things like that ha the, has, has really put in a floor under that. Does that become inflationary uh, or deflationary? I, you know, again, it, it remains to be seen. Um, what we know is is one of the consequences of that we saw play out across um, treasuries and, and flight to um, safe haven assets uh, like cash. Um, it's what's interesting as we sit and, and counsel uh, advisors and clients that what you don't want to do at the, the nadir of an event like this is sell at the bottom and go to cash out of fear. And yet what we observe is a historic rush to cash through the end of April to the tune of $5 trillion having moved over mm -hmm. to cash. And, and, and that's, again, unprecedented, um, which is interesting, right? Because it, it go, it, it's consistent with what we observe in investor behavior in general, because if, in fact, uh, the bottom were, is ends up being March and April is the the beginning of the rebound. All of that cash missed that rebound. They it missed the 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 S and P being up double digits. It mi it missed all of that by being in cash, right? So, but again, we don't know. Uh, so so timing is, is an issue. But the the consequence of uh, the Fed uh, bringing in all of this surplus liquidity is certainly playing out in all kinds of risk markets as well as the yield curve. And, and you're seeing that play out across the globe, right? We're, we're seeing the ECB echoing with, with all kinds of uh, support and markets there. And, and of course, that's that sort of central bank activity. If you go to the, the actions that governments have taken, well, again, the the action that the government uh, in the United States have taken to support um, small businesses, uh, paycheck, uh, paycheck protection, etc., cetera, uh, again, are, are sort of unprecedented. We haven't been to this level of spending in such a, a compressed period of time. It, it's unclear what impact that has on um, the, the government's ability to, to manage and maintain its own sort of uh, budget and, and shortfall. I saw a, a fascinating study the other day of just the impact of, of going to cash uh, over the last 25 years. And the study just simply looked at if you'd invested in the S&P 500 and you put $1,000 in over the last 25 years, it'd be worth about $4,400. But what if you pulled out that money 
um, every time the market dropped 2% or more. Well, if you pulled out um, and, and stayed out for a week after every time the market dropped 2%, you'd have cut your 4,400 basically down to 2,500. If you stayed out for two weeks, you dropped to 2,100. If you stayed out for a quarter, it was 1,800. If you stayed out for a year after every 2% drop, you'd be down to 1,300. So um, we know, and there's all kinds of other studies that back this up, as, as, in, in case you probably know them better than anybody, that trying to time the market has historically been very, very, very difficult to do and uh, has resulted in substantially cutting your long-term uh, returns. Um, and of course, uh, you, need, you know, whenever you pull out your money out, you got to be also right about when you put your money back in. And that's guessing right twice is very, very difficult. Um, in, in just kind of, of, of wrapping up, um, obviously a lot of things that are unprecedented or we haven't seen in, in many, many, many decades. Um, but we have seen in, in the past some instances where we've had both a supply and demand shock as we have right now. And usually with most recessions, it's, it's a question of, of demand, uh, whether it was the eight, 1918 pandemic or World War II um, or the um, oil embargo of 1973. And in, in all these instances, uh, and again, every time it's different, but see, there are certain similarities, markets over time returned and returned very strongly. Um, I would just love, you know, if you could kind of sum up and, and talk about, um, you know, the long-term perspective and, and what you think advisors and investors should be doing and thinking about now, um, despite all this, this, you know, bad news that we've seen. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. As you know, I, I speak to uh, groups of investors and advisors all the time. And uh, the helping uh, them understand that the return you get from markets is the reward for being willing to experience the volatility. Right. That that is the risk that that is the risk that generates the reward and, and, and trying to help investors understand that when the market has done nothing but go up for 11 years, uh, that that seemed to have fall on deaf ears towards the end of that 11 year bull run. Yeah, yeah, we get it. Markets are volatile. How come we're not getting 10 percent average annual every year? Right. So so that seems to. And then you have the injection of the volatility, which is the price that you get for the, the 10% average annual returns. And, and you have to remind them, folks, this is the ride you signed up for. This is how markets work. The, there is volatility. There is risk. That's what generates the reward in the returns that you consume. You have to be willing to expose capital to that that ride, that volatile ride, if what you want is the return associated with it. And, and we know that equities uh, historically are more volatile than bonds. That's why you add uh, 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 bonds in your portfolio to, to help mitigate against some of that volatility. Uh, 
And again, as as you come to the end of an 11 year uh, bull market, it's harder to justify to clients why they have 40% uh, bonds in their port in their portfolio when the equity is doing so well. It's times like this. <laughs> When bonds work, when equities don't, that's why you hold it. So events like this, I think, are a real clarifying moment to hammer home the things that that we've been talking about for years. Broad diversification, building portfolios that allow you to, to weave in both equities and, and fixed income across geographies, across different uh, sources of return, factor risk premium, that it, that all of these things matter, but the, that they're all a part of what drives the return. And, and at the end of the day, the risk, the ride, the volatility, that's, that's the ride you sign up for when you're putting capital to work in markets. That doesn't mean when you get to that volatility spike, you should freak out and go to cash. That's, that's the wrong thing to do in that time. Uh, it, it's a recognition that, okay, this is that moment. This is why we get the, the return the rest of the time. And, and the good news is that 90% of the time, the market does give you positive returns and, and it uh, pays for the downtime, the 10% of the time that the market is negative, that the rest of the time, it, it pays you for being patient during those negative times uh, and then some. So the longer you're willing to hold, the, the higher your sort of average annual return tends to be as a reward for being patient over that period of time. Excellent summary. Um, thank you so much, Casey. And thank you to everyone. Um, and uh, we will see you next month. And uh, stay safe, stay invested, and uh, take care. Thank you, William, uh, for joining us. Uh, and thank all of you listeners as well. Uh, we appreciate uh, your time, and we hope this has been somewhat additive for you. We look forward to continuing the conversation on an ongoing basis. Have a great day. Thank you very much for listening to the Symmetry Delta podcast for evidence-based investing. Visit us at www.symmetrypartners.com. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn under Symmetry Partners, LLC. If you have any questions or would like more information, give us a call at 800-786-3309. Symmetry Partners LLC is an investment advisor firm registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or excluded or exempted from registration requirements. No one should assume that future performance of any specific investment, investment strategy, product, or non-investment-related content made reference to directly or indirectly in this material will be profitable. As with any investment strategy, there is the possibility of profitability as well as loss.